we think there's a problem in the fundraising world. And as it continues to grow, we want to do a few things. We want to call that out and say, here's the problem. Then we want to speak into where the problem came from, why we have the problem. And the good news is we're going to chat with you about how we think we can help solve the problem. And that'll happen through this idea of responsive fundraising. Welcome to the Ministry of Scale podcast. I'm your host, Chad Williams. Join us as we discuss trends, learn from experts, and share practical tips to help you multiply your digital impact. Responsive fundraising. Have you heard that term? What does that cause you to think about? Responsive means something like responding to those around you, or when you're in a conversation, you're listening to them and you're responding to them in kind. If you think about it that way, that's exactly what we mean when we say responsive fundraising. Or you can ask the question this way, how can you treat every donor as if they were a major donor? How do you treat a major donor? A major donor, you are listening to them and you are taking them out to eat, you're learning from them, and then you're making the ask to, to, to connect with your ministry, whether it be financial or time or talent or whatever that looks like, you're making that ask in a way that's personal to them. And, and so responsive fundraising is taking that idea of being able to connect with every donor that you have, just like if they were a major donor. Well, in today's talk, we're gonna hear from Chip and Allie from the software platform Virtuous about how you can do just that, how you can respond to the people that are donating to you in ways that they want to be responded to. So if you're in a place where you can take notes, I'd encourage you to grab a pen or a computer. You'll learn the eight ways that your mindset has to be different and the four key practices to do responsive fundraising well. Let's dive in. Good afternoon, everybody. It's a pleasure and privilege to be with you. Uh, myself and Allie today, we're going to talk to you about what is what we consider to be a responsive mindset. And that's ultimately rooted in this concept or this strategy that Virtuous is championing called responsive fundraising. But before we do, I want to give you a little context about around why responsive exists and why we think it's important. And so I'll start with a movie that I'm hoping at least some of you saw called The Big Short. Anybody? A few? Okay. <laughs> well, The Big Short is a movie that came out in 2015, and it was about a guy named Michael Berry. And Michael was a hedge fund manager. And in 2005, he noticed something that was happening in the U.S. housing market. And ultimately, it was all of these very risky subprime loans that the banks and the lending companies were giving to people who were oftentimes unqualified. In addition to that, they were getting these massive loans that were equipping them to go out and buy these homes that a lot of them just simply couldn't afford. So we noticed this, and as a hedge fund manager, his first thought was, well, this is completely unsustainable. And eventually, this bubble is going to burst. Well, as a result, I'm going to take a billion of my clients' dollars, and I'm going to short the U.S. housing market or bet against it. Well, as you can imagine, his clients, his employer, his family and friends thought he was a full-blown lunatic. You don't bet against the U.S. housing market. That is the, if not one of the most sustainable attributes of the U.S. economy and has been for decades. But nonetheless, he did it, and unfortunately, he was right. And that's ultimately what led to the economic uh, collapse that we experienced in 2007 and 2008. 
And so what we want to talk to you about today is uh, we think there's a problem in the fundraising world. Now, I'm not going to make so bold of a statement to say that it's at the same level of complexity, nor is it at the same level of global impact of the economic crisis of 07 and 08, but it is a problem and it is a bubble. And as it continues to grow, we want to do a few things. We want to call that out and say, here's the problem. Then we want to speak into where the problem came from, why we have the problem. And the good news is we're going to chat with you about how we think we can help solve the problem. And that'll happen through this idea of responsive fundraising. So why does generosity matter? And so before we dive into this question, I want to tell a little personal story about generosity. Um, so going into my freshman year of college, um, and no, that is not this year. So if you're wondering why an 18-year-old is on stage, I'm out of college now. It was um, last year, though. <laughs> Go Tigers. Uh, but so I decided I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, and just wanting to make an impact and just meet a lot of people. Um, I had grown up the, in the church my whole life, and I decided that I was going to sign up for Fellowship of Christian Athlete, Athletes um, and go on a mission trip. And so I signed up for this mission trip, and this being my first one, um, I went to Indianapolis, and we were assigned teams. And we were doing a lot of community service and um, doing, like, working with schools and churches um, and also serving the homeless community as well. And on that first day of being there, we met a homeless man named Joe. And Joe quickly befriended our group, and he stuck with us for the entire week that we were there in Indianapolis. And not only did he stick with us, he went to all of the projects that we did. He helped serve, helped serve the, you know, the churches and schools. And um, he really just became our friend. And we got to know him really well over that entire week. And on the last, well, second to last day of the trip, Joe actually would come to all of our worship services and actually ended up getting saved. Um, and then on the last day of that trip, he ended up coming in to our worship service on the last day, and he had bought us all dinner with, which I mean was like 12 people. So I mean, with for somebody that you know is not having an income coming in, that that's a lot. And so it was this idea that generosity breeds generosity. And so we go back to this question: Why does generosity matter? And so we believe that generosity has the power to create profound change in the world and in the hearts of the givers. So with that, our mission at Virtuous is to move the needle forward on global generosity and be able to help nonprofits better connect with and inspire their givers. So I want to read you this quote. Um, and so by Eglatine Jeb, who's the founder of Save the Children. And it says, we have to devise means of making known the facts in such a way as to touch the imagination of the world. The world is not ungenerous, but unimaginative and very busy. And if that was true back in 1920, I'm sure it's even more true today. Um, and so people aren't ungenerous. They're actually more generous. But the truth is we're bombarded with a barrage of marketing messages and just a ton of distractions every day. And so our lives are just busy. We're just busy. And so as nonprofits, how do we begin to touch the imagination of our donors and begin to connect and inspire our donors in new meaningful ways. And so 
as nonprofits, we're facing a major challenge in the sector. There is a growing generosity crisis impacting each of their ministries. And so we're seeing that most nonprofit organizations are actually losing more than 50% of their donors every year. And even scarier than that, excluding the crisis giving bump in 2020, uh, we've actually seen a 25% decrease in the number of individuals contributing to charitable organizations, with religious organizations actually being most heavily impacted, according to reports, which we'll dig, dig into that a little bit further. So if we consider the difficult realities that Ali just described, and then we layer in this difficult reality that tells us the world you're fundraising in has changed pretty dramatically. And so this is where we're starting to kind of describe the problem that I alluded to a moment ago. I mean, the problem is the statistics that Ali shared. But why do we have that problem? Well, I believe 10, 12 years ago when the smartphone came out, the root of all evil, by the way, but that's a separate conversation. um, That's the point at which uh, brands like Google and Netflix and Amazon and Facebook and you name it, very quickly figured out a way to curate and deliver these highly personalized experiences to all of us. It happens today, right? Our Facebook feed is informed by what we like, where we live, where you're literally standing sometimes. Netflix is constantly pushing recommendations on, since you watch this, you might want to watch that. Well, as a result of that, Donors now have the same expectation of the charities they support. We believe at Virtuous that giving is intrinsically personal. When someone's giving to your organization, they're doing so because they have a personal connection to your mission. Maybe you've served them, you've served a friend of theirs, they have a friend or a family member who's serving in the mission field. Rarely are they just randomly giving. They're doing so because they have a personal connection to what you're doing, and now again, they have the same expectation of you. But there's one really important gap. And the problem is most nonprofits are handcuffed to systems and mindsets designed for a world that no longer exists. What we're oftentimes designed for is the old traditional way of doing things. I oftentimes refer to it as the spray and pray approach. But that world no longer exists. And so with that world and that model that has become intolerable. We have seen that people have, the personal connection to all organizations is totally different. So the reason that I give to an organization is totally different than the reason that Chip gives to an organization. And so people are coming to us all over with different connections to your cause. And so when we move them to the retention and cultivation, and we start to use the spray and pray method, we see that there's been, with the fundraising um, effectiveness project has reported that there's been a 76% donor attrition rate, which is crazy, um, but it's based off of the one-way communication, based off of nonprofit timelines, um, but there's no mechanism to collect feedback from donors to learn what, what their passions are or where they even are in their own donor journey. And so I want to break this down a little bit into the first principles of fundraising. So on your left here, you have your supporters, your amazing, amazing champions for your cause, your donors. And then to your right, you have your story, your mission, your impact, your outcomes. And then in the middle here, you have your strategies, your campaigns, processes, communications. Um, 
But really, how do we begin to optimize those systems and strategies in order to reduce the distance between our supporters and their story? How do we bring them more intimately in touch with your cause and help them feel like they're championing for your cause on the front lines? And so this is the fundraising model we all know and love. So I know this is, if you have been in fundraising for a while, this is not new to you. But thought it'd be just a helpful refresh as we go throughout our presentation today, just to keep this in the back of your mind um, as we go throughout. Um, but really, instead of bombarding, you know, sending out mass impersonal messages to our donors and just stealing their attention and causing more distraction, how do we start to then adjust to a new growth mindset? Um, and in that mindset, committing to responding to all to every donor in a personal way. And so, in other words, how do we begin to treat all donors as if they were a major gift donor? And so, I want to dive into what that approach might look like. So here we call that responsive fundraising. So I want to break this down a little bit further. And so we have step one, which is to listen. We, is, we have got to be great listeners. We also have to ask great questions. So what are the key donor signals? What are the digital signals? And then other publicly available data to better understand your donor. Then we move to two, which is connect. And so how do we be personal in real time at scale? And so I know if you're a small team, that can seem kind of overwhelming. But the key really is to be using modern technology and marketing automation to connect with every person in a personalized way. And then we move to step three, which is to suggest. And we like to use suggest instead of ask, um, but to suggest the right next step at the right time. And then four is to learn. And so how do you become more responsive? How do you take that information and continue to build deep, authentic relationships? And so I want to read you this quote. Um, Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. And so giving is so deeply personal. And if giving is personal and our processes, our communications, our outputs are so largely impersonal, we shouldn't be surprised by the results that we're getting. So with all that said, how do we then go about upending the status quo and lead our teams to be more responsive. So now Allie and I are gonna take you through eight different responsive mindsets. And we're gonna encourage you to consider these and embrace these as we go forward and think about how they could also be impactful to your day to day. So the first is personal for all. And Allie alluded to it. In a nutshell, how do we treat all of our donors in the same way we're currently treating our major donors? Now, what I'm not suggesting is that you're going to be able to take everybody out to lunch and you're going to be able to send everybody a handwritten thank you note and you're going to be able to take everybody out to dinner. But that is a very personal approach to managing that donor relationship. But here's what we can do. So imagine for a moment, Britt, she attends a virtual event with us. An hour later, she gets an automated thank you email for attending that includes a survey. And the intent of that survey is to, again, as Allie alluded to earlier, listen to Britt. Why was she at the event? What's her connection to our cause, to our mission? What's her intent? A day after that, she gets a thank you call from the team. Two days later, she gets a text message from the program team that includes information about the interest that Britt had shared 
in that survey that she responded to. Britt visits your website. A day later, she gets an email with the donation ask based on the exact page that she actually visited on your website. Britt gives that first-time gift. 15 days later, she gets a postcard from the program team closing the, the loop on the impact that her financial support is going to have on your mission. This is very different from the graphic that Ali showed a moment ago where we had all these different people coming in in very different ways with very different intentions, but all getting treated the same. This was very much based on the timing and intent of the donor. It's highly personalized and it's multi-channel. So what if we could do this at scale, right? So you may have hundreds of people in your database. Some of you may have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people in your database. So how in the world are we ever going to deliver that highly personalized experience to that many people? Well, this is what it would look like based on their behavior. We then trigger a series of follow-up steps based on that behavior that can deliver that highly personalized content, that highly personalized engagement and stewardship based on what they've done and what we want to encourage them to do next. And that's what a responsive dynamic campaign looks like. Regardless as to how they came in, they all get their own personal journey. And the result of this are, are pretty dramatic. Our clients are seeing, on average, a 12% increase in retention, 10% increase in average gift size. And it's not up there, but the number is 20% overall increase in engagement. So we're moving on to number two, which is innovate, experiment, and embrace failure. So I know that last one can scare a few people. Um, but responsive nonprofits are constantly innovating, experimenting, and adapting to their processes. So we need to be willing to try new things and embrace new ideas and get really comfortable with failing. Number three is to focus on trust. So every relationship thrives on trust and accountability. Our donors want to know that when they're supporting, that the people that they're supporting too will do what they say and act in the ways of which we expect. And so I love this quote here by Jennifer McRae from the Generosity Network, but it says, resources will tend to flow naturally toward you when you focus on the most important aspect of fundraising the fundraising process, creating human connections. So how do we begin to establish donor trust and be able to build authentic relationships at scale and create lifelong donors? And so we found that donors continue to give when they feel connected with and have confidence in an organization working on a cause they care deeply about. And so I want to dive into that a little bit further, just of an example of a responsive nonprofit. So if you're not familiar with Hope International, they're a large nonprofit organization. Their chief advancement officer is a gentleman by the name of Chris Horst. And so they're really leaning into this idea of transparency. And so as an example, when people give to a specific project that they're doing and it doesn't go swimmingly, as they sometimes just simply don't, Chris and his team will literally pick up the phone to the people that gave in support of it with their time, talent, and treasure, and sometimes all three, and just admit it. Say, I'm really sorry. We so appreciate your support, but it just didn't go great. We positioned this project or this opportunity with a goal, with an impact goal in mind. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. And here's why. But the great news is 
We've learned from that. We're going to iterate on our process based on what we learned, and we're going to do better next time. And by the way, we still really need your help because we've got a lot more good to do in the world, and we need you to stay alongside us. The result of that was a dramatic increase in trust between the donor and the nonprofits because they were just transparent. They just said it out loud, which oftentimes just takes the teeth out of the conversation, right? When you just say it out loud. But the result of that was they've got a very sustainable, uh, very successful long-term giving program as a result. So responsive mindset number four, value motivational insights over behavior. We've said this a couple of times now, it's incredibly important to understand somebody's intent, particularly if they give for the first time, right? What's their connection? Why are they giving? What's the motivation behind that over the actual behavior itself, which was they gave a first time gift, which is great. But when they give that first time gift, the first thing we should do is pick up the phone and say, thank you and say, and ask why. And that takes us to one of the core tenets of this concept of responsive fundraising, which is we really want to listen to our donors, understanding those intentions, understanding who they are, so that ultimately we can serve them in the most efficient and effective way possible. So what to be listening for? We want to listen in three very specific areas. The first is for involvement. So how are they engaging? Was it through a volunteer opportunity? Was it through an event? Was it just simply a first-time gift through your website? What's their interest? What are they giving to specifically? And again, what's their intent? Why they're connected to the mission? How they're connected to the cause? Why are they giving to us? And so with that, we move to responsive mindset number five, breaking down silos. And so silos between programs, fundraising, and communication departments are no longer serving your organizations. The more crossover between the teams, the more responsive your organization can be. And so we believe that combining your people, your platforms, and your processes to all work in harmony together will help build deep, authentic donor relationships at scale. And responsive mindset number six is to be abundantly thankful. Generosity breeds generosity. And unfortunately, most nonprofit organizations today are treating their donors as if they were ATMs. But these same organizations are also realizing that that account is quickly dwindling. Um, we need to be able to put lead with our gratitude and be able to engage with donors in a way that we don't even plan on asking for money. And so responsive nonprofit organizations are providing highly personal and meaningful experiences. So never lose sight of the sacrifice your donors are making with their time and their money. Uh, we want to be able to offer and lead with an emotional experience. And so with that, to Chip's point, too, about even being more personalized, um, from the stat from Penelope Burke's Donor-Centered Fundraising book, uh, we've seen the organizations that are providing a thank you call after someone makes an a donation has actually seen a 39% increase in revenue. And so responsive mindset number seven is to de design plans and adapt and stay curious. And something we always say here at Virtuous is to write your plans and strategies in pencil. Be willing to make changes, be willing to fail, um, and just see what, what works and begin again. 
So I want to read this quote by Seth Godin. It says, some organizations will thrive from this increased chaos, some will be unprepared, and some will merely fight it and lose. Um, And I think that's very true in this new normal or just today's world now. Um, But some were willing to adapt and others are will not. So responsive mindset number eight is view generosity beyond the transaction. So it's so easy to get focused on the transaction. One of the problems is there's so many of them. It's hard to really see behind it. And what was it? that motivated that? What was the mindset behind that? And how do we move away from this idea of treating generosity as a transaction, meaning they give that gift, we generate the receipt, and then we call them again next year and get more personalized based on who they truly are, what their original intent was, and how we can truly best serve them based on the whole of who they are as a donor. So Allie and I have a colleague uh, who used to work at World Help, and this is a great example of how we get beyond the transaction. So they decided that they really wanted to lean into this. And so they identified a segment of donors within their database. And they all looked the same. They all behaved the same. They all gave in the same ways at the same time and looked very similar. But they wanted to dig deeper and see if they were even additional unique attributes about that segment that would essentially create sub-segments within that segment. And so what they did is they put together a survey and they sent it out to everybody in that segment and they asked very three, they asked three very simple questions. The first one was, why did you originally give? The second one was, why do you continue to give? And the third one was, what can we do better? They got an amazing response. They got over a thousand responses And as they kind of dug through the data, what they did is they, again, identified three sub-segments within that segment, and they looked like this. The first segment gave because they want to demonstrate the fact that they have a desire to give and support people outside of just their immediate family. And those folks also wanted to demonstrate their understanding that they understand there's a big, bad, broken world out there that needs their help. The second group gave because they saw um, education or educating children in developing countries as the most efficient and effective way to solve poverty in those countries. And the third group, they gave just because they have a deep, deep care for children, which sounds kind of generic based on who they're giving to and how they're giving. But if they looked even deeper into that group and what they found out was that What was unique about that third segment was that none of them had their own children. So understanding these insights about them allows them to do two things. One, they could serve this group more efficiently and effectively, but now they could also go find lookalikes who look just like them and already have the messaging set up to engage them in the appropriate way. And so that leads us to, as Ali alluded to earlier, this responsive system um, that gives us that donor growth model the responsive fundraising piece, fundraising piece, which leads to responsive teams that also ties in responsive platforms. And so I'll leave you with two thoughts. And I'll suggest at this point that as we sit here, we're at a crossroads and you have a decision to make. The decision is, are we going to go the traditional model, the way we've always done things? 
that tends to be a little more disjointed, a little more static, a little silo, a little less personal? Or are we going to step out and are we going to lean into this idea of being more responsive, embracing these new strategies and tactics and approaches that, by the way, our donors want and expect and be more dynamic, personal, and multi-channel in the process. Now, let me say this. What I'm not suggesting is that's easy. That's a very difficult thing to accomplish, especially if you're a larger, more long-term, more institutionalized organization in the way you've always done things. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's a scary thing to think about. The good news is you don't have to eat the elephant in one bite. Our recommendation to folks is we love the idea of what we call the crawl, walk, run approach, which says we don't have to do everything, but we do have to do something. So let's do one thing and let's start that process. Let's measure it. Let's see how it did. Let's learn from it. Let's iterate. And then let's take a step back and then let's think about what we want to do next. So I'll leave you with this. And this is a quote from our CEO, Gabe Cooper. This is what he always tells us. We need to move fast and we need to break stuff. We need to move fast and break stuff because we've got a single mission as a company. And that's to increase generosity and to serve the well-deserving nonprofits like yourself incredibly well with highly intuitive, highly intelligent, highly automated technology that's ultimately going to allow you to accomplish your ultimate mission, which is to advance the kingdom. So move fast and break stuff. Thank you. I also want to leave you with this responsive fundraising pack as well. So if you just want to send an email to responsive at, fun, at virtuous, uh, org with the responsive, with the subject line responsive fundraising, we'll send you this responsive fundraising toolkit, and it has the 30-minute video showcasing how and why to become more responsive, also a 100-page blueprint of fundraising, or you can scan this QR code as well. You can also take a uh, responsive assessment just to benchmark where your organization is in terms of being more responsive. So if you have any questions, we're in the back over there at the big virtuous sign. So <laughs> you can go back and come talk to us. Thank you so much. Thanks, y'all. So after listening to Chip and Allie explain so well the responsive fundraising concepts, it, it causes me to ask the question, how responsive are your fundraising efforts? Or maybe a better question is, how responsive do your donors think your fundraising efforts are. I would encourage you to go to the website virtuous.org to learn more, not just about their software, but also about more resources about how you can employ the responsive fundraising tactics into your everyday, everyday ministry outreach. Thanks so much for listening to Ministry at Scale. Until next week, keep learning, keep growing, and keep impacting your world for Christ.